Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. In keeping with a pastor's theme for uh, this month of December of Matthew's Messiah, I'm going to be coming out of Matthew um, really... <clears throat> Two passages that are connected uh, and, um, and kind of walking through here. And so, um, if you have your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind turning to, or your devices for that matter, Matthew 4 and 17, Matthew the fourth chapter, verse 17, and then keep a finger there and flip over to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> where we will look at verses 1 through 9 and then verses 18 through 23. And, and look, before you, you know, your eyes glaze over and you get to thinking, oh, my goodness, that's a lot. Um, it is. It is a lot. Yeah. So, um, but we're not going to be going verse by verse and everything. It's really looking at these to provide a good context for us and then moving through really primarily verses 18 through 23 is what we're going to be doing uh, in chapter 13. Uh, so, but we are going to read all of the verses just for good, proper context and understanding. Uh, and uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. <clears throat> and there you will find these words. Uh, Matthew 4 and 17 first. <clears throat> from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, flip over to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, verses 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another 30. The Lord bless the hearing and the reading of his word. You may be seated. Uh, and just for a few minutes, look, I'm not kidding. There's going to be a couple of minutes more than just some few minutes. 
but really not, not to be belaboring it too long. We want to just talk about Christ calls us to his kingdom. Christ calls us to his kingdom. And as for a lesson aim, it's very simple, is that we would reflect and evaluate how we are responding to Christ's kingdom call. That we would evaluate and reflect upon how we are responding to Christ's kingdom call. Now, we had the fortunate um, pleasure and blessing to uh, do a little bit of travel uh, about a week ago. We went out of town down to Orlando, Florida, and we went to Disney World. And that is a special, special time, right, when you are able to make it into uh, the, the happiest place on earth is what it's called, right? Uh, and, and just, look, to dispel any rumors, we didn't just up and decide we wanted to go to Disney World. We've been saving and planning for a year, <laughs> putting some dollars away and doing some things differently. And so um, what uh, we are, um, we, we, we went there, and basically, when you get there, right, everything, actually, even before you get there, they're sending you stuff in the mail, Disney said, look, you spent a lot of money with us, but uh, it's, 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 going to, it's going to good use, Pete. We, we're not going to waste it. You're going to spend a lot of it, but we're going to use it. to." And, and they're already sending you stuff in the mail about you coming to the happiest place on earth. They're already messaging you. You get these cards that you feel special. It's got your name. Like, look, Pete, you know what I'm talking about, Pete. Yeah, right? Hey, oh, Pete said he gets them all the time. They go all the time is what Pete said. <laughs> we do that all the time. But, but you get this, and, and, and so then when you finally, right, so anticipation is building up. They're sending you information. You're reading it about the Magic Kingdom. And then when you finally get there, for those, if you haven't been there, it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, even if you're an adult, at least for me, there is something about coming up on the Magic Kingdom. The, the, the way they have this thing, go ahead, uh, Paul, the way they have this thing set up, right, is that um, you, you can see, that you can come in by monorail, you can come in by ferry boat, you can, uh, you might be able to parachute in if you got Pete, Pete Lee money, you might can parachute in and do those kinds of things, right? But, but all of it is with an eye towards coming into the Magic Kingdom. This is Cinderella's castle in the Magic Kingdom, and this ain't, look, this ain't no uh, Google Images. This is straight off of my, uh, <laughs> my, my Android phone, right? <laughs> my cutting-edge Samsung ed Android phone. This is an actual picture of us rolling up and being in the Magic Kingdom. Now, here's a neat thing about when you go into the Magic Kingdom. Not only have they not, they've been pumping to you messages before you even get there. Letters in the mail, getting you hype, letting you know, hey, you're coming to the happiest place on earth. When you get there, Cletus, Music is playing. I, I don't even know where the speaker is. Where is the speaker? It, I mean, it was, it was like in the hotel room music is playing, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? And as you're getting closer, there's music being pumped all over. It's coming out of the bushes from the rocks, and the, the salamanders are singing, just like in the movies. The birds are landing on your shoulders because you're in the Magic Kingdom. It's the happiest place on earth. So you get on the ferry, and you, you, you pull out, and, and that's the way we went there, and we're going across the water, and so you can see, right, the kingdom in the distance. And then when you get off there, the people, 
even the people who work, they, I mean, everybody's, hey, welcome to the Magic Kingdom. They're telling me, tell Mickey we said hi. They know Mickey. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to mess up anything for the kids. But they're telling me to tell Mickey hi in the Magic Kingdom. They're happy to be there, and they're happy that I'm coming there, Pete. And they're, they're pumping out this message. Have a good time, Charles. Enjoy yourself. The music is playing. The characters are spinning and dancing. There's, there's folks all over the place. Even the folks sweeping and cleaning look happy. Because we're in the happiest place of the earth. And the message that they're sending is that this is what this kingdom is about. But, nevertheless, upon entering into the magic kingdom, you observe a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, you see all that stuff I just told you about, but I also saw some selfishness. I saw some people cutting in line, cutting and dodging and, and darting in between the foot traffic. I almost, this is a true story, it's going to sound like a joke, but it's not. I almost got into a fight with two little kids because they cut off my baby. I did that quick daddy, hey, hey, that daddy voice. And he looked at me. <laughs> I don't know whose kids they were. I'm like, hey. They stopped running. They, <laughs> they kept, just kept on walking. But I saw some selfishness. Look, I also saw some confusion. Folks with maps, and, and you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and they're flipping it around, and you could tell they didn't think, well, is this us? Where are we going? And what's the next thing? And they, you know, they're flipping it and folding it. I, I also saw some exhaustion. I saw some folks who were just giving up the ghost. They were just sitting on the side. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, I'm over it. The best part was the ferry ride. Now, <laughs> I'm in this thing on my own power, my own strength, and I'm just tired. I saw some frustration. Some parents with some children who clearly didn't understand what it costs to be at Disney World. I saw their exasperation trying to deal with these kids. I saw meltdowns from what I would consider to be, I mean, they're, they're young, they don't know, the, but, but ungrateful children. Just, just don't realize, you're in the happiest place on earth. I saw, Brother Charles, I saw as we, we had just badged in, just on the other side of the turnstile, and there was a kid already falling out. You just got in the kingdom. You can't be hot, you can't be tired, you can't be hungry, you can't be nothing. You just literally just badged in and you already falling out at the happiest place on earth. Get this one, this one blew my mind. I also saw contentiousness in the Muppet 3D movie adventure. <laughs> Behind us, two dads Almost got into a fight. You would think I'm making this stuff up, but the Lord knew. These are going to be some examples you can use in a sermon, Charles. <laughs> Pay attention. Two dads almost, I was thinking, what is about to happen at the Muppet movie 3D adventure? What could be of such weight that these two men who hadn't met each other, and they only happened to be sitting in the road together because of where they lined up, are about to get into a fight in the happiest place on earth. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
And so despite Disney's best efforts, with the messages that they're pumping, with even the work they did before you even got there, correspondence in the mail, setting the mood when you get there, pleasant people greeting you as you come in, folks greeting you with a smile, happy to see you, telling you to enjoy yourself, music playing, characters around, waving and stopping for pictures. Despite all of that, I saw some funny behavior in the happiest place on earth. Similarly, 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 Jesus, as the Messiah, calls us to participate in his kingdom. He messages, right? A message is being sent out about the kingdom. He describes the characteristics of his kingdom. He talks about what it's like to be a kingdom citizen. He talks about what it means to be a kingdom citizen. He talks about how kingdom citizens interact and relate not only to him but to one another. But when folks look around and try to observe the manifestation of his kingdom... We look around and we see some of everything going on. Despite the message being sent out. Yeah, don't get me wrong. You may see some folks here and there that are poor in spirit. You may see some folks that are being gentle, some who are hungering for righteousness and for the merciful and the pure in heart. You may see the peacemakers, but you're also going to see the selfish. You're going to see the confused, you're going to see the exhausted, the frustrated, the contentious, the ungrateful. And at first glance, all of them seem to be in the kingdom. And it makes us, it should make us, scratch our heads and ask how all of this that is so inconsistent with Christ, how it can be in his kingdom. Well, to answer this question, right, we'll need to do two things. We'll first need to establish kind of a high-level understanding of kingdom in general. That in, in this kingdom that Christ is calling to us, is calling us to specifically. And then we'll need to examine the context within which Christ calls us to his kingdom. So let's get going here. Let's briefly establish a basis and a framework for our understanding of kingdom to help us determine what Jewish listeners would have heard and what they would have had in mind and understood when the word kingdom was mentioned. Now, as a resource, what I'm using is a book by a Dr. Nicholas Perrin called The Kingdom of God. Look, this is a, I just wanna take a break here because this is a really good book it's an easy read book, but I want to lean on it even more because Dr. Nicholas Perrin actually taught from this book here at Solid Word, right back in, in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in what used to be the overflow room. So, so we have, right, uh, as a part of uh, ITS, Indianapolis Theological Seminary, this is a little shameless plug, when, when they do classes at different churches, they offer to the church members free auditing. You can just come sit in on the class for anybody who's a member of the church that's hosting the class. This was an excellent class. We spent a week. It's nothing like, it's one thing to be taught by an expert. It's another thing to be taught by the person who wrote the book, right? 
And so using a lot of what we learned in that class, I'm, I'm using that to kind of establish this background and the notion of kingdom. So let's push ahead, and hopefully this doesn't take too long, but I think it's important for us to have this as a context. The notion of kingdom, when we're talking about kingdom, and specifically when they're talking about kingdom in the Bible, is really comprised of three things. Three things you got to have to have a kingdom. You have to have a realm. You have to have land. You have to have space. You have to have some people that are occupying that space, and then you have to have a ruler. I mean, that's not, yeah, we can wrap our minds around that. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, see if we can hear this a little bit differently now. God calls Abram out of his country and makes him a promise of two things. He promises him land, and he promises him a nation, people. So in the context of the Near Eastern world, that context of that contemporary context of hearing the story of Abraham and understanding what it is that God promised Abraham, they would have understood that the promise of land and the descendants would have implied an organized structure of a nation, of a kingdom that was being covenantly promised to Abraham. And by the end of Genesis, what we see is the faithfulness of God as he has uh, carried out his promise on an aspect to the people because by the end of Genesis, Abraham's seed has now grown and has expanded into the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this covenant with Abraham that God initiates is built upon a theme that began in the garden. Follow me. Where we see that God has provided land, all of creation, specifically the Garden of Eden, where he has provided people, Adam and Eve, and he charges them with what? Being fruitful and multiplying to add more people. He charges them, subdue the land, bring more people into it, and in effect, expand the kingdom. Similarly, after the flood, when Noah and his family are brought to dry land, they land on the Mount of Ararat, Genesis 8, 1 through 4, and they're given the responsibility to fill the land with people. Mm -hmm. And so, from Adam to Noah to Abraham, what we see is that God is particularly concerned about the space he has created being filled and subdued by people who submit to his rule. These people, from a biblical standpoint, the Old Testament standpoint, the nation of Israel living under the sovereign rule of God would be his representatives in the land. Scripture clearly presents God's desire for a space inhabited by his people, but in each example, from Adam to Noah to Abraham, we see Israel's inability to faithfully inhabit the land according to God's will. In other words, they don't represent him well, and they don't subdue and submit to his will and his rule well. And as a result, God brings about a period of exile for his people. He sends them out of the land. And he sends them not only out of their land, but into other lands where they are now subject to the rule of other kingdoms. Hmm. All because they have neglected their role as his kingdom mediators. Now... <laughs> this is the context that we now engage Matthew's gospel with. 
this background, this understanding of the nation of Israel being in exile, of having once have the, have having had the promise of kingdom given to them, but now being scattered out of the land, they find themselves having no land. They find themselves under Babylonian rule, Assyrian rule, now Roman rule, and then enter Jesus Christ. Now, after Jesus in chapter 4, emerges victorious over Satan in the wilderness, the wilderness temptations now. He's coming out of that. Matthew tells us in chapter 4, verse 17 is where we just were, that Jesus then heads to Galilee, and he begins his preaching ministry. And when Jesus bursts on the preaching, teaching scene, think about it, right? He, 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 he's He's been 30 years as the son of a carpenter. Don't get me wrong. There's been flashes of greatness. We know that when he was 12, he was in the synagogue and he was breaking it down. So it's not like he was an unknown, but he, he wasn't doing it kind of full time. So now, after he defeats Satan in the wilderness, he goes through the temptations and comes out on the other side, having not yielded to those temptations, he goes to Galilee and he starts his preaching ministry, and when he bursts on the scene, he doesn't lead with a message of love. He doesn't lead off with a message of forgiveness. He doesn't even lead off with a message of peace. Think about it. What, for those of us that have preached and taught, your first inaugural sermon, I can remember the first sermon I preached in Memphis, Tennessee. 15 minutes, Pete. Y'all probably wish for those days again. Mm -mm. All things considered, I remember the title about Jesus in the boat in the storm. This is my inaugural speech, my first uh, sermon, the one that would put a stamp on God's call on my life. When Jesus burst on the scene to preach his first message, it's not about love, it's not about forgiveness, it's not about peace, but instead his message is straightforward, it's simple, and it's plain. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, man. The fact, right, that Jesus starts his ministry with a message about the kingdom should flag for us the importance and significance of the kingdom. Not only does Jesus start his preaching ministry with the kingdom, talking about the kingdom, but in Acts chapter 1, he also ends his uh, earthly ministry responding to a question about the kingdom. So Jesus' whole life on earth is bookended by the kingdom. To push this even further in Matthew's gospel alone, the word kingdom appears 53 times. 36 of those being the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Just by contrast, love appears 11 times. Forgiveness 12 times. Peace, 13 times. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not to say, oh, then that means none of those other ones are important. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. But what I'm saying is, is that there's something significant about the kingdom. There's something about the kingdom that provides the context for love, forgiveness, peace. And if we skip over the kingdom, we won't know how to rightly relate to the love, the forgiveness, and the peace. When Jesus declares that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's letting people know a couple of things, John. He's, he's, 
letting them in on a little secret. One is that something is happening right now <laughs> that has brought the kingdom of heaven closer than it has ever been since the Garden of Eden. Think about that. Jesus says, you know what was going on in the Garden of Eden? Yeah, something like that is happening right now. Closer than it's ever been before. Second, Jesus is also letting them know by inference that up until this moment that there was another kingdom that's been in power and in place. Makes sense, right? If he says now the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that means another kingdom has been in place, has been in power. And lastly, Jesus is letting them know that he is there to lead Israel out of the exile that they've been in because of their failure to faithfully represent the kingdom in the land. So this is what seems like a very, very simple, simple verse. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, is heavy with all kinds of historical and redemptive meaning that Jewish ears would have picked up on immediately. They'd understood what Jesus was, was declaring, what he was proclaiming, and what put some of those religious leaders on edge. What do you mean the kingdom of God is at hand? What do you mean that you're the one who now will lead us out of exile? <laughs> and to prove, right, that this new kingdom was at work, what we see Jesus doing is after the proclamation, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, we see him then preaching and teaching about this kingdom in Matthew 5 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapters 8 and 9, what do we see? We see Jesus healing the leper, healing the centurion's servant. We see him healing Peter's mother-in-law, healing the paralyzed man, healing the woman with the issue of blood. We see him even bringing the official's daughter back to life, calming the storm and casting out demons. And all of these things aren't just to say, ooh, isn't Jesus an impressive guy? It's not just to say, oh, he's got power. Yeah, he is an impressive guy. Yeah, he does have power. But it is evidence that backs up and it serves to prove that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. It is breaking into space and time. It is interrupting your reality and taking power back from the kingdom of darkness and setting the captives free. <laughs> Taking over. Jesus in his miracles shows that he has power over sickness. He has power over nature. He has power over death. He has power over demons. That's the kingdom we want, Pete. That's the king you want to follow. I look, I can stand out there all day and say, hey, a new kingdom is coming. And you'd be like, well, well what's, man, what are you doing? It's, like, well, it's going to be great. Jesus says, hey, look, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And oh, yeah, let me show you what this new kingdom looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. But after all of that, kingdom context, Jesus performing miracles, First message on the scene, book ended, his ministry book ended by the kingdom. After all of that, the question still remains that if the kingdom of heaven is breaking into space and time, 
If it is interrupting our realities and is now closer, according to Jesus, than it has ever been before, why then do we see the inconsistencies? Hmm. Well, let's turn our attention now to Jesus' parable. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, and see what we can glean from Christ's teaching on the kingdom. In chapter 13, Matthew actually records seven different parables of Jesus. And, and these seven different parables, Jesus uses to explain, to describe, and to express aspects and characteristics of the kingdom. Hey, did you ever think about that? Um, these, are, these, these parables aren't unfamiliar to us, but did you ever think about that? Man, this, this whole chapter is nothing but parables about the kingdom. Jesus has, has obviously he's preaching and teaching all around, but Matthew has, has decided to, to record and put all of these together in this one chapter, one section, let me say it like that, of his gospel to lean on the importance of the kingdom. So what do we see in chapter 13? We see the parable of the sower. We see the parable of the wheat and the weeds. We see the parable of the yeast or leaven is what your translation may say. We see the parable of the mustard seed. We see the parable of the hidden treasure. And we also see the parables of the pearl of great value and the net. Some of these are just one-liners. Some of these are a couple of verses. But they're all given, right, to give and, again, to explain, to describe different aspects and characteristics of the kingdom. But the parable of the sower specifically has a unique element in that I believe it provides an explanation for why we see these inconsistencies among those that are supposed to be kingdom citizens, which makes it then a significant parable that we should pay attention to. Another indication that it is significant, I believe, is that we also have the explanation for the parable. Jesus gives the parable in verses 1 through 9. Then he has some conversation with the disciples and then gives them the explanation in verses 19 through 23. So, so we have, right, an explanation, but, but what we have, even in the explanation that Jesus gives, is an explanation of the symbols that are represented, well, that's one thing, to understand the symbols, to understand what those symbols represent and who they are in the story. But that doesn't always equate to understanding. Just because I know what the symbols are, what the variables represent, oh, oh okay, that is this and that is this, doesn't always mean I'm putting it together. Right? And so what we want to do is, is spend a few minutes putting it together, and then we'll be out of here. So Jesus describes a scenario where the word or message of the kingdom, he describes as the seed, is being preached by him, the sower, but as people hear the message, it produces different results. Now, a couple of things right off the bat we should, should, should notice and, and acknowledge is that because the seed, the message, comes from Jesus, the sower, the difference in the results isn't attributable to the sower or the seed. It's the same sower throwing out the same seed. Let me say that again. It's the same sower throwing out the same seed. So, 
The difference in the responses has to be in the one hearing and receiving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus points out that there are different types of soil or heart conditions that when they encounter the seed that he's sowing, the message that he's throwing out, they produce different results. And while four different examples are given, four different heart conditions, four different soils, there's really only two results. Either you produce fruit or you don't. Because sometimes when we see four different so soils, you think, oh, there's four different levels, blah, blah. No, no, no. At the end of the day, either you're producing fruit or you're not. Jesus is just saying, here's some ways you don't produce fruit. But the end result is you ain't producing any fruit. So let's look at soil number one, lack of understanding. Verse 19, Jesus explains that the first soil represents people who hear the message of the kingdom but do not understand it. Let's stop right there and deal with this understand. What does it mean to misunderstand or not understand? Well, in the Greek, this word carries with it the idea of setting, joining, or bringing things together. It also has an aspect that sometimes the things that are being set or brought or joined together can be hostile towards one another. So think about this. This understanding isn't just about comprehension of words. It's not just about understanding terminology or even understanding concepts of the kingdom. But it involves taking those kingdom words, those kingdom terminologies, those kingdom concepts, and then bringing them into our minds <laughs> where guess what? There's already some words, some terminologies, and some concepts already existing. And in most cases, what's in our minds, those words, those terminologies, those concepts are hostile or they are in conflict with, in opposition to, in disagreement with kingdom words, kingdom terminology, and kingdom concepts. So this failure to understand the message is less about intelligence. It isn't about how smart someone is. But it really points to whether when we encounter the message of the kingdom, we recognize and acknowledge it as truth, as good and as beneficial to our lives, or do we resist it and choose our own sinful reasoning and rationales instead? Here, here's a good example. Here's a good example. <clears throat> grade school, first grade, I don't know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I'm looking at my wife because she's a teacher. You will teach kids two plus two equals four. Now, most of those kids, in general, are coming in not knowing what 2 plus 2 equals at all. So you teach, as a teacher, 2 plus 2 equals 4. They understand that, they get it, they learn it, they put it together in their minds, and 2 plus 2 equals 4. Yeah. But I don't think that's what's being talked about here. I think this is more of an example of, I come to Joe, and I say, Joe, 2 plus 2 is 4. Joe says, no, nah, 2 plus 2 is 5. And I say, Joe, 2 plus 2 is 4. Joe says, no, nah, Charles, 2 plus 2 is 5. Well, now Joe has a decision to make. Is he going to take 2 plus 2 is 4 from the, I'm just using this as an example, the Georgia Tech mechanical engineer. <laughs> All right? Who knows math? 
Or is he going to say, all my life, two plus two has been five? So when Joe takes two plus two is four from a resource outside of himself and looks at two plus two is five, which is coming from his mind, and he tries to set those two together, he can't reconcile them. Now, Joe is smart. Joe knows two plus two can't be both. Can't be four and five. It's got to be one or the other. But which one is it going to be? Well, I believe what's happening here is Jesus is saying, look, when the kingdom message comes to you, you've already got a message playing in your mind. I'm telling you <laughs> that this is what the kingdom is like. This is what kingdom citizens are like. This is what it takes to get into the kingdom. Not only am I telling you that, but I'm showing you I got credibility because I'm healing folks. I'm calming storms. I'm raising the dead. I'm casting out demons. And I'm telling you that even though you had a different perspective about what the kingdom was, I'm telling you what the kingdom is. What are you going to do with that? And in my example, if Joe says, you know what, I hear you, Charles. I know you went to a good school. You're an engineer. You've taken five calculuses, blah, 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 blah. But I, pretty much, I believe two plus two is five. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't bring those two things together. He doesn't reconcile them. And I think, follow me now, that this is further proven out. If we look back at the text, by the fact that the evil one, Jesus says, is the one who comes and snatches away what has been sown into the heart. I think this lets us know that what's at work here isn't a lack of understanding. It's not, not understanding what righteousness means as a definition. It's not, not understanding what justification means as a definition. But what is at the core of this is a battle of wills. The individual versus the king of the kingdom. <laughs> and whether or not they will submit to the message of the kingdom. This brings me to a question that I want to ask. Is this you? Is this first person you? Are you sitting here claiming to be in the kingdom, claiming to be a kingdom citizen, but pushing back and rejecting the whole message of the kingdom. No, don't, don't get me wrong. I know. Look, when it talks about uh, you, you blessed in the city, you blessed in the field, you blessed when you come and when you go, we love that part. <laughs> you, you're singing a song in your head now, right? But if I just use the song as my basis, I never get to what God actually says in the scripture when he says, that you're all of that if you obey me. But if you fail to obey me, he takes that entire list. Yeah, you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the field, you're blessed when you come and when you go, but if you don't obey me, you're going to be cursed in the city, you're going to be cursed in the field, you're going to be cursed when you come and when you go. Is your life inconsistent with the king of the kingdom? Let's keep pushing at this thing. Soil number two suffers from a lack of depth. In verses 20 and 21, Jesus then explains that the second soil is suffering from a lack of depth, such that when the message comes, there is an initial response of joy, 
But as soon as they hit affliction and persecution because of the word and because of the kingdom, they fall away. Let me tell you something. This <laughs> is feeling like you're on the Mount of Transfiguration, like you're gazing upon the face of the glorified Christ when you're in church, when the choir is singing your song, when the deacon is showing up praying, when the pastor is pulling it, and you are caught up in the third heaven with Paul. <laughs> on an emotional high. But as soon as the trials and tribulations of life come your way, you throw all that Jesus stuff out the window and resort to your old ways of dealing, coping, handling the storms in your life. Hmm. See, the problem is for a lot of us, so I'm not, I'm not, us, is that we're coming to church to be entertained. We want to be tantalized, and we want to be enticed, and we want to be scintillated. We want to be dazzled, and we want to be amazed. We want, we want lights and smoke and, 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 and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Hear what I'm saying, right? But we come wanting that. And push this even further. We spend our discretionary time, we, right, throughout the week, endlessly scrolling through comments, YouTube, TikToks, Reels, binging TV shows, binging movies, creating playlists, music, uh, uh, thumbs upping what we like, thumbs downing what we don't, until we find something that grabs and holds our attention, and it makes us, you and me, addicted to instant gratification. My family will tell you, I got <laughs> a major bane of my existence is commercials. I just don't have the patience for commercials. Jackie, it's crazy because I'm old enough that I grew up on commercials. Pete, it wasn't, fast forwarding through commercials wasn't even, you couldn't do it. So, so I, I, my context is not like, oh, well, you've never had to deal with commercials. No, I've dealt with commercials. And then and the question I ask my kids every time we're watching something, is this live or is this recorded? <laughs> they know, look at them, they know. Because I'm telling them, I said, look, if, look, if, if the remote is going to be with you, you need to be on top of it. <laughs> I've, I've had to rescind some remote responsibilities because they're not going through the commercials, Pete. If we, don't, if we don't have to watch them, why watch them? Here's the bad thing. If it's live and commercials come on, then I'm channel surfing. I can't even, I, 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 I don't have the patience to suffer through the commercials to finish watching the program that I presumably wanted to watch. So I can't stand commercials. I'm channel surfing because I don't want to wait. I want it now, 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 I want it now. So it's no wonder that when I bring that to the house of the Lord, 
where he is being worshipped in spirit and truth, where his word is being preached and taught faithfully and accurately according to the scriptures, that I can then stand up and declare, well, church just didn't do it for me today. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't, in his example, right, he says that the persecution that causes them to fall away comes as a result of the word. But it doesn't even take that for some of us. Let someone treat us bad on social media. Let someone cut us off in traffic. Let someone give us an unfavorable report on our health. Let money get a little short. Let a spouse not respond like we want them to. Let a child start acting funny. Let folks on our job start acting up. Let some church folk hurt your feelings. Let the deacon run off with the money. Let uh, the choir director not give you a solo. Let the Sunday school director not let you teach. Let the mothers look at you funny. Let the elders not call you and check on you. Let the pastor fall from grace. And all of a sudden, I'm questioning if God is even real. All because I don't have the patience to watch a few commercials to get back to the main program. If this hour and a half is not tailored to meet every box on my self-preference list, then I'm done with it. But Jesus saved your soul. Yeah, yeah, that's what he did on a hill called Calvary. What has he done for me lately? Abandoning Christ. Abandoning his commandments, his ways at the first sign of trouble or when we are no longer infatuated with or entertained by church is a sign that we don't have any depth. And it is our exposure to the word, to the message of Christ and his kingdom that creates that depth, which means we have to study we have to read. We have to pray. We have to praise. When, Charles? In church? No, on your own time. Instead of trying to just survive on what we get in just this hour and a half here. Brings me to my next question. Are you a shallow, fair-weather follower of Christ? When you come to church, are you seeking to be edified or are you seeking to be entertained? Next, in verse 22, verse 22 rather, we'll look at the soil number three, which is a lack of confidence. Jesus describes another scenario in which the message of the kingdom goes forth, is heard, but is then choked out or it's smothered by two things. Worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And we cannot overlook, hear me when I say this, the modifiers that are used for these two things and how they are ultimately connected. Notice, worry is described as being of the world. And wealth is described as being deceitful. 
Without a doubt, this is a hyperlink to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 when Jesus gives the command to not worry, but the worry we are to avoid is very specific. He shares with us in Matthew 6 and 31 when he says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? These things Jesus describes specifically as what the Gentiles or those who do not know God, who are not God's people, what they worry about. In other words, these are the worries of the world. The deceitfulness of wealth that Jesus refers to is the notion that the solution for these worries is wealth. The idea that the only way to not have to worry about what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear or how we'll pay for this bill or how we'll pay for that bill, how we'll get the kids through college, how we'll make it through retirement, the only way we'll have peace of mind is to make sure that we do all we can to amass all we can as fast as we can. And the warning from Jesus is that when we believe that wealth is the answer to our worries, that wealth will be what brings us peace of mind, that wealth addresses our greatest needs, then we will sacrifice and neglect and ignore the message of the kingdom. Hear what I'm saying. As pastor has said many times before, it doesn't say wealth is bad. But what it says is that wealth is deceitful. And we know this. This is, this is not new. We, our lived experience tells us that wealth is deceitful. Because let me tell you how we know that this is true. is because we feel better the more money we have in the bank. But having a lot of money in the bank will not ensure restful sleep at night. Having more money in the bank, Pete, will not ensure that I'm loving my wife as Christ loved the church. Having more money in the bank will not ensure that Dr. Cato won't call me and say, we got the results back and it doesn't look good. But we fool ourselves into thinking, this is what Jesus is saying, that if I just got money in my pocket, I can handle everything else. Jesus is saying, you don't understand that everything else is bigger than the money in your pocket. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the money that's in your bank, they can tell you, no, you can't withdraw that today. Yeah, yeah, no, you can't make a run on us today. But I worked hard for that money. Yeah, we, we'll have it. We got it. We'll keep it for you. It'll be here. But it can't leave with you. And what Jesus is saying is not that wealth is bad, but that wealth has a bad effect on kingdom citizens because we begin to displace him as our provision and as our provider and putting in, like I'm going to tell on myself, Benjamin Franklin, that's the only president, that's the highest dollar I know. Ben Franklin, in the place of the one who provides. And the warning from Jesus is that when we believe 
that wealth can do what only the king of the kingdom can do, then it'll choke out his message. Yeah, Jesus, you can't bring me peace. Is these ducats going to bring me peace? Yeah, Jesus, you, you can't give me sleep at night. It's this paycheck that's going to bring me sleep and rest at night. Oh, what are you saying, Charles? We should quit our jobs? No, I ain't nobody said nothing about quitting your job. What I'm saying is, is that your faith should not be in the, in the job. And the effort should not be to amass as much money as I can because I don't want to worry about these things. Here's, here's something that I think is so beautiful that, I, that sometimes I think we skip over because we get hung up on do not worry in Matthew 6. Jesus says, look, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear for the Gentiles are concerned about those things. But then he says, but your Father in heaven knows that you have need of those things. I think that is such a beautiful verse. And it implies that the reason that the world worries about that is because they don't have a heavenly Father who knows that they have need of those things. Lastly, in verse 23, I'm sorry, let me ask this question. Are you guilty of allowing the world's worries to cause you to trade the truth of the kingdom for the deceitfulness of wealth? Lastly, verse 23, Jesus describes the ideal scenario where the message of the kingdom brings forth fruit. And the defining characteristic in this scenario is the very opposite of the very first one, where there was a lack of understanding, here we have someone who hears the word, Jesus says, and understands it. Someone who takes the message of the kingdom, sets it, brings it together in their hearts and in their minds where there is conflict. They resolve that conflict by surrendering themselves to the message of the kingdom. They submit their thoughts, their beliefs, their philosophies, their reasonings, their will to the king of the kingdom. And as a result, Jesus says that they indeed bear fruit. I looked up indeed because I just thought, it was like, man, that's interesting because, you know, we say indeed, uh, and, and it's, uh, you know, yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. But it got some other synonyms for it. Jesus is saying not that they will indeed bear fruit, that they really bear fruit, that they surely bear fruit, that they certainly will bear fruit, that there's no doubt that they will bear fruit, that nothing but fruit-bearing can come from someone who hears the message of the kingdom and understands it, who puts it together, submits themselves underneath it, it necessitates that they bear fruit. And those who are not, right, are being drawn in a contrast with those who are bearing fruit. Some have received his message in the kingdom. And because of these other things, aren't producing fruit. But this group, he draws this contrast to show that those who are bearing fruit are the ones who have received his message. It becomes a telltale sign. Jesus goes on to also reveal 
that in the parable about the wheat and the weeds, if you keep on reading, that there's also some non-kingdom citizens that have been planted among kingdom citizens. So you've got two groups not producing fruit kind of in the midst of the kingdom. you got those that, for whatever reason, haven't received, haven't understood that the word of the message is being choked out and all those kinds of things. And you've got some that are working against the kingdom actively. Man, this sounds like it's a big ominous kind of a thing. Here's a neat thing about it. <laughs> those questions that I've been asking, regardless of what your answer was in the moment, Jesus the sower has not stopped sending out his seed. Let me say that again. Jesus the sower has not stopped sending out his seed. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that regardless of how you've handled it before, there's a chance to handle and respond differently today. So this brings me to my final question, my closing, the invitation, and all of that stuff wrapped into one. Have you received the message of the kingdom? Well, what is the message of the kingdom, Charles? The message of the kingdom, very simply, is that there is deliverance from a life that is trapped by sin and death. And this deliverance that is available is unlocked by repentance. Simply acknowledging and being sorry for living a life on our own terms and surrendering to the king of the kingdom. Yeah, I, I, again, understanding isn't about do you understand uh, how God can be one and three at the same? No, that's not, that's not the understanding that Jesus is talking about. How do I know that's not the understanding he's talking about? Because I know that Jesus can save a thief on the cross who had no days in Sunday school, no time in seminary, who simply said, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, mm, remember me. Jesus says, on this day, you'll be in paradise with me. Did that thief understand the hypostatic union of how God can be both man? No! He understood that this was the king. And if I want to be in the kingdom, I need to be right with the king. You can get some theology and some doctrine later on. What you need right now is some repentance. Well, Charles, that's awful judgmental. How are you going to say, no, I'm just quoting my Jesus. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, I don't know what all that means. What does that mean? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, should I take communion every Sunday or once a month? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, I don't understand. Should we have music and service? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, should women wear pants? Or Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, is the Sabbath Saturday or is it Sunday? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand.
Matthew's Messiah. Christ calls us to his kingdom. The sower is sowing seed. How are you going to respond to his message? Yeah, maybe it is a heaven or hell deal for you. Maybe you've never accepted the message up until now. Maybe this is your first time. Mike, I like what you did last time. If there's anybody here, I, look, I know. Folks, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm shy, I'm this, I'm that. I, I'm not trying to hurt nobody's feelings. For whatever reason, we only get shy at church. Um, we post some of everything on social media. We wear some crazy stuff out in public. But for some reason, when it comes to identifying ourselves with the king of the kingdom and acknowledging that I am a citizen, I want to be a citizen of that kingdom, now all of a sudden we want to go behind some closed doors. And, and look, I'm not saying you need to stand up here and tell me your whole life story. But this time is for you. The doors, as we used to say, this is the second Sunday, season, same Sunday. The doors of the church are open. Is there one? No, let me change that. I know there's one. Are you going to come today? Man, let me tell you what I'd hate. Lord, help me. I would hate for you to remember this Sunday as the time that you had the opportunity and you put it off and you shoved it down. You choked it out. You, you, you took it and matched it up with what was in your own thinking and said, no, nah, I'm good. This time is for you. Whether you're here in, in person, whether you're watching, whether it's now or later on some recording, this time is for you. And I'm not trying to scare folks, but I want it to be serious. That these moments are the moments that, that, are, that are listed in our accounts, so to speak, that makes it to where the Bible says that God will, he, he'll be without fault when his judgment comes. That there will be no one who can say, yeah, but I didn't get a chance. I didn't know, I hadn't heard, I didn't see, no one explained. All those things that we like to try to say. Jesus says, I'm, I'm, the message of the kingdom is going out. Jesus himself says, it's going out. The message is going out. The question is, how will we respond? You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.